good morning and welcome to Greenwood. We want to welcome those that are joining us uh, live through our Facebook feed. We appreciate you joining in. We want to wish all of our mothers, those that are here and uh, those that are listening by way of internet, a very special and a very happy Mother's Day. And also our prayers are extended to those of you uh, who've possibly lost your mother uh, in the past year. We're remembering you and know that this can be a challenging uh, day. And uh, for some of you, you uh, as we pray this morning, we're going to thank God for our godly mothers and their spiritual influence. And you may not have had a godly mother, and that may be a pain uh, that still rests in your heart. But I want to encourage you and remind you this morning, you have a heavenly Father that loves you, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die in your place. And so you, you remember that this morning. You, you rest in his love uh, today. Before we pray, just a few announcements uh, to make you aware of. Uh, how many of you got the call uh, later last night about the prayer request uh, to pray? Uh, well, to God's glory, the woman was saved uh, last night, and we were able to have a part in that. We were able to pray uh, for those family members who were there witnessing to her uh, last night. So she's been transported to ICU. She is very, very sick. Uh, but it was reported last night that she prayed to receive Christ, and for that we say to God be the glory. Uh, remind you that on uh, our, our volunteer list for Sunday a.m. and Wednesday p.m., children's uh, ministry volunteer list, those lists are there on the table with the schedule. We appreciate you, those of you that signed up. And if you're interested to know, and you should be, uh, when you're going to serve, it's there on the sign-up sheet on the desk as you exit. And also, over to your far left and my right, uh, there's a table that have all these beautiful little gifts, these little bags and doodads and Bible verse uh, bookmarks and uh, Ms. Pam Griffin and Angel Wilson uh, crafted all of those for all the ladies in our church. So despite your motherhood status, one of those gifts is for you this morning. So we want to say happy Mother's Day and we appreciate all the godly women in our church and the spiritual influence that you have on the lives of others. So let's pray now and ask for God's leadership uh, over this service and that his Holy Spirit uh, will move and challenge and speak to us today. So let's pray together this time. Father, we give you thanks for another day. Uh, Father, thank you today for godly mothers. Thank you for their sacrifice, their influence. Uh, Lord, those who were in heaven with you, uh, if they were godly, their influence still continues in hearts and lives today. And we give you thanks for that. Father, we pray that as we've gathered here today that your precious Holy Spirit even now will begin to speak to us and challenge us. God, I want to pray if there's someone here who today stands lost before you in their sin. They've never responded to your amazing grace. God, that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in our place. They've never turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, we pray they'll make that decision today. God, I pray you'll cause each of us really to stop today and to pause for just a moment and invite your Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to try us. And God, to really challenge us concerning the impact of our spiritual influence. And how do you see our lives? And God, we're out of line with the Word of God and the will of God. I pray, God, we'll spit out our pride will humble ourselves and will allow you to change us and to shape us and to mold us and to fashion us fully into the image of Christ. Father, pray for those that are going to sing this morning, all those that are serving behind 
the scenes. Thank you for the security guards who are out in the parking lot, their service today. Pray for the ones that are going to be leading in children's worship after our music this morning. God bless them. We just simply ask God, you'll be glorified. Your will be done. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we ask all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Scotty. Let's all stand, will you? Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see.
Thank you to each one uh, that worked with our music ministry this morning. Praise God for all the Christ-honoring and encouraging music and truth that we've heard uh, this morning. Be finding your Bibles and finding the book of 1 Kings chapter 22. As you're finding that, uh, I'll ask uh, any of our parents who are sending their three-year-old through kindergarten uh, to children's worship this morning. You can meet Phyllis and Miss Linda there at the back door. They'll be in the fellowship hall locked up and secure this morning, and you can uh, retrieve them there after the service. That's three years old through kindergarten. Church family, you're finding the book of 1 Kings chapter 22, and you're going to do something we don't always do. You're going to put a bookmark there or your ribbon And you're also going to be finding the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll begin to read there first off this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 3. And for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, the impact of spiritual influence. The impact of spiritual influence. 2 Timothy chapter 1 We'll begin to read in verse number 3. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, begin to read in verse 3. The Bible says these words, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. Father, I want to pray that God, if here this morning, there's someone who's allowed affiliation with religion. God, just good southern religion of just join the church and be around the church. Believe in Jesus. To, to lead them to a false reality that they're right with you. 
And God, through that, their heart has been hardened through the con- to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray you'll overwhelm them today with the spiritual reality that is theirs, that they're lost and they stand in need of salvation, and that if they died today according to your word, they'll spend eternity in a place called hell because they've never been spiritually born again. Father, I pray that you'll not only challenge moms and dads and grandfathers and grandmothers, but all of us today. Lord, you'll really challenge us about the spiritual truth that, that we have an influence, a spiritual influence, and it impacts people positively and negatively. Father, I pray that as we come to a conclusion of this service, if there's anything in the, the life of a, of a believer today, Father, that, that you're not pleased with, Father, I pray that you'll put your hand upon it. And Father, I pray that we won't turn from it, in, in, as far as the conviction of your spirit, but we'll receive that conviction, we'll respond to it, and we'll turn from the sin. And Father, fresh and anew, we'll submit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We simply ask, God, you call the lost to salvation, and you speak to every disciple here today what you would have us to hear and to respond to. As we come to invitation, might we bow our knees to your Lordship. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to please be seated. Before our Lord ascended to heaven, he spoke these words to all who were there watching him. In Matthew chapter 28, and in verse number 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We know this is what it is. It's, it's the Great Commission. It's the mission of the church. It is what God has called every believer to be a part of, but it's the mission that churches are to be doing. We sum that up in three words here at Greenwood. Now, church family, don't make me look bad. Uh, this morning. Those three words are number one, reach, teach, and encourage. Reach people with the gospel. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded us from his word. And then encourage people to do those things, to live those things, and to finish well. And we know that part of discipleship, it begins in the home. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6 says this, to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from them. That's one of the most mistranslated and misused verses in Scripture. A lot of people say, well, you know, if I simply just train my child in the way that they should go, if I bring them to church and I sit them under the ministry of the Word, then everything's going to be fine in their life. They're just, they're just going to go, they're, they're automatically just going to go in the right direction and everything is fine. And friend, that's simply not true. What the Bible's saying is when you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. It means they'll not depart from the training. That training won't depart from them. doesn't mean that, they, they're, that they're bulletproof, that they can't live the life of a reprobate. That's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching this. Don't miss this. Whatever positive training you sow into the life of a child, that training will be with them until they die. But there's, there's, there's another side to that. That sword is a double edge. If you train, if you influence a child in the way that they should not go, that training will be with them forever. They will remember either the positive or the negative. You see, the sum total of your life is an influence upon every person with whom 
you have a relationship. It's not just what you say, but it's what you do. Your, your life every day, you need to hear this. This isn't just for moms and dads today. You know, so don't take, say, well, I'm not a mom, I'm not a dad, I'm not a grandpa, I'm not a grandma. Nothing for me, set the clock, lunch in an hour. No, this is for everyone. Your life influences other people. Now listen to me. If, if you've never been saved, you can't lead someone where you've never been. And so the need that you have in your life, first off, is to be saved. You need to choose today to turn from all the sin and to turn from yourself and by faith lay your life down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, surrender to His Lordship. And my friend, the Bible says when you do that, Christ will come in. He'll give you a new nature. You'll be a new person. So that's the, that's the first and greatest need that you have this morning. But I want to speak to every... This is a message for the church. Every believer, your life influences... There's not a part of your life that doesn't influence somewhere. And this is especially true in the family. And, and we're going to focus in part on that today. But it's not just in the family. It's, it's everywhere. It's in the workplace, it's in the neighborhood, it's in the ball field, it's at the boat ramp, it's in the checkout line, it's when you're online with the customer service rep that doesn't speak English. It's wherever you are. Your, your life is an influence to the positive or to the negative. And so this morning we could have entitled our message A Tale of Two Families. We're, we're going to look at the life of two different families, the family of Timothy and the family of Ahaziah, king of Israel. I want you to notice these three things this morning about the impact of a spiritual influence. Number one, notice with me the impact of positive spiritual influence. Now, I want to share with you again from the very beginning, there's no in-between. It's either positive or there, it's, it's negative. It's, it's not, well, I'm just somewhere in the middle, I'm in neutral. Then you're negative. Your life influences people either to Christ or away from Christ. There, there is no in-between. And so we see this in the life of Timothy. Timothy is now the pastor of the church at Ephesus. It's a book that we've been in for the past few Sundays. He is a son in the faith to Paul. He, he, was, he encouraged him. Paul was a mentor to him. And so Paul, he begins this second letter to Timothy, one of the pastoral epistles. We, we see him being encouraged when he thinks about Timothy's godly heritage and the positive influence that God placed in Timothy's life. Look what the Bible says in verse number five. He says, when I call to remembrance, first of all, he says, I, I'm filled with joy, verse four. He says, I get stuck. Now remember, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. And in the midst of that imprisonment, he says, I'm, I'm filled with joy, Timothy, verse 5, when, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now, that word genuine, literally in the Greek, it means non-hypocritical. And, and that word hypocrite, that's the one-word excuse for why lost people, you know, won't come to church. Well, church is full of hypocrites, church is full of hypocrites. You know what? Most churches do have hypocrites in You know, addicts have bats and churches have hypocrites. But this is my always response, you know. Well, Jesus had 12 apostles. One of them was a hypocrite, you know, so you do the math. It's possible one, one out of every 12 and 
church is, is a hypocrite? I don't know, but this is what I always say. I'd rather go to church and know Jesus Christ and serve him now and endure hypocrites or die and go to hell with him for all eternity. Which sounds better to you? So Jesus says, when I look at your life, Timothy, you have a genuine, non-hypocritical faith. Well, you say, well, that's, that's subjective. You know, what's a hypocrite? What's not a hypocrite? Well, I'm so thankful that the Bible doesn't leave it up to us to decide what the definition of a hypocrite is. Listen to what Matthew chapter 15 Verses 7 through 9 says, Now Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And then verse number 7 of Matthew chapter 15, listen, write it down in the corner of 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, hypocrites, with an exclamation point. That's what Jesus says. He looks at these religious people and he calls them hypocrites. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying? Now listen, this was, this was their testimony that Christ saw every day, day in, day out. He says, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. What does that mean? They knew the right things to say. They knew the right things to do. When they came to church, they knew the right time to raise their hand. I mean, they were right on point. They knew the bylaws in and out. Their names, listen, they had family members who were founding members of the church. When it was Heritage and Vision Day, homecoming, listen, they, they, they had family members who were in every slide from the, from the wheel of remembrance when we put the slideshow up. Jesus says, these, these people honor, they draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but listen, Jesus says, their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What is Jesus' definition of a hypocrite? It's someone that says something and does something that's really not a reflection of their true heart. Jesus said these people really inside, they were mean. They were wicked. And if they were saved, they were backslid. And so really what was coming out of their, their hands and their feet and their mouths, it really wasn't a true reflection of who they were. And so Jesus says they're not genuine. They're, they're hypocrites. And that's why Paul says, Timothy, when I look at you, you don't have that kind of faith that Jesus is speaking of. He says, you have a genuine, non-hypocritical faith. Verse 5. Now, what about that faith? You say, well, he was, he was a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. Friend, listen, it's hard to find anybody in the South that's born and reared here that's not a person of faith. You'll dare meet anybody that was born south of the Mason-Dixon and whose family's been here for 40 or 50 years that does not believe that God created the world, his son is Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. You won't meet many people that don't believe that. But I want to remind you what James says, so does every demon in hell. And that's not enough for salvation just to have a mental assent that Jesus exists. True salvation is not a head knowledge, it is a heart possession. Where one has repented and trusted Christ, to be Lord of their life. So he's not, he's not talking about faith. You know, I've got faith in. When he's talking about faith, he's talking about the lived out sum total of the Word of God. Look, look at your Bibles again, 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, when I call to remember the genuine faith, the lived out doctrines. He said, the Word of God that has been taught to you and instilled in your life, he says it's genuine because you live it out. You're, you're living it out on a daily basis. That's what Paul says in just a few chapters over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have kept thee 
faith. He said, I've kept the faith. Not that Paul's in prison saying, I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith. No, he kept the doctrines of Scripture. When Jude says to contend for the faith, he's talking about the sum total of the teachings of Scripture. And so Paul says, the reason, Timothy, you need to, you need to catch this. Timothy, the reason that you, you've got a genuine faith, it's non-hypocritical, is because you, you live it out. Seven days a week, don't miss this, 24 hours a day, there's nothing hidden in your life. It's genuine. When you go on vacation, you, you, don't, you don't hang the house keys on the, on the, on the peg and then hang your relationship with Christ because what happens on vacation stays on vacation, right? No sir, no ma'am. Real, real genuine faith is lived out at all times. You can't compartmentalize your life. That's what the Pharisees tried to do. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you're hypocrites. You say one thing, but you do something completely different. There's nothing hidden. Look what it says again. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, that is in you. Not just that you say you believe. You know, I believe that. Well, that's the way I was brought up. That's the way we believe. Or down at, down at Greenwood. That's what we believe down at Greenwood. Paul says, no, that's the genuine faith that is in you. What does he mean? He says, it is possessed as, as, as a part of your character. He says, that makes up who you are. He says, when someone speaks about you and talks about you, he says, you have a genuine, non-hypocritical faith. Now, all that background, just to get to this part. Don't miss this. Where did it come from? Well, it began because Timothy had, like we all do, John chapter 3, verse 7, he had to be spiritually born again. There had to be a moment in Timothy's life where he responded to the gospel and he trusted Christ. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. It's by the providence of God that you're here or you're listening online. The, the push of the one world, and, and we're seeing it ever more in the contemporary church of the day, it's just, you know, God loves you. And, and you know, and you just, you just attach your life to God, and you're, you're going to be fine. No, friend, you must be born again. There must be a time in your life where the Spirit of God convicts you. I want you to listen to me this morning. Friend, we can, turn, we can turn the heat up. We can turn the lights down. Colin can give us a laser show with red lights. We can put somebody in the back room screaming, dragging log chains around, and try to scare everybody into being saved this morning. But listen, what, what I can scare you into, someone can scare you out of. You, you're saved by the, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Someone shares the word of God with you that all sin falls short of the glory of God. You must repent. You must, by faith, Romans 10, 9, 10, trust Christ to be Lord of your life. And then listen to me. You've got to make a choice. You're going to choose. And if you die and go to hell, it's not because God didn't choose you. It's because you chose not to respond to the gospel and be saved. And Timothy made a choice. He received Christ. But there was something else that had happened prior to Timothy Choosing Christ. Look at your Bibles again in verse number 5. Paul says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, look, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. Paul says Timothy had a godly grandmother and mother which influenced Timothy toward a genuine, non-hypocritical relationship with Christ through their own relationship with Christ. 
They daily lived out their life before Timothy in a genuine, authentic way. And Timothy, listen, he, he saw that. What they said and did, listen, what they said and did on Sunday, it lined up with the rest of the week. Did you hear that this morning? What they said and did on Sunday, and when they were in need, when they were calling the church to get put on the prayer list, what they said and did, friend, it lined up at all times with the rest of their life. There was nothing non-hypocritical. Paul says their genuine spiritual life influenced Timothy to have a genuine spiritual life in Christ of his own. Listen, Timothy saw everything that they did. Don't you listen to me? Listen to me, moms and dads, grandparents. Timothy saw every morning when he woke up early. The lamp was already on. The light was already burning. He saw his mother and his grandmother alone with God studying God's Word. He never heard come out of their mouth, well, I just don't have time to have a quiet time with God. He saw. He saw how they treated their neighbor. He saw how they would have treated the lady in the checkout line that got their order wrong. He saw how they would have spoken to the, to the, to the person at the pickup window. You know, they didn't get all their order right. He saw how they talked about people. He saw all those things. Timothy heard. He heard the speech that came out of their mouth. Not just at church, friend, but driving back to church. At home. About their fellow man. Timothy heard them. He saw them. He heard them. And through that, friend, listen, he learned. He learned from what they taught them about God's Word. As they sowed the Word of God into Timothy's life, he learned. And then through that, listen, friend, he processed all of that. He said, friend, I want to remind you this morning, listen to me. Kids aren't stupid. You aren't stupid, and your kids and grandkids aren't stupid. And we're deceived by the devil sometimes to think, well, they just can't see. Friend, listen, they process. And Timothy processed what he saw, what he heard, what he learned as he looked at the lives of his grandparents. Listen, it influenced him. Timothy was influenced by the sum total of their life. It influenced him. And so Paul says in verse number 5, look at it again. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, look at your Bibles, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded, listen, is in you also. Well, he's already said that he has a personal relationship with Christ, a genuine faith, but don't miss this. When he says it's in you also, it's in you also because of them. Their genuine life influenced you to have your own personal relationship with Christ. And church family, it's not just parenting. The lost and saved are watching your life daily. They're watching. And in this day of ridiculous social media, they're, they're looking at what you write. And friend, I'm telling you again, you better hear me this morning. Your testimony is marked by what you put thumbs up and thumbs down to. That's you. You've put your stamp of approval by it. And the lost world's watching. That influences people. They're watching. They're observing. They're listening. They're learning. And if your life is not genuine, if it's not non-hypocritical, by Christ's definition, 
Now, in my Bible, Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, it's in red. Who spoke that? Who? Did I say what the definition of a hypocrite was? No. Who said that? Jesus did. If your life is out of line with his word and his will, then, friend, you don't have a positive spiritual influence like Lois and Eunice did. You have a negative spiritual influence. And so, number two this morning, I want you to notice not only the impact of a positive spiritual influence, but sadly, I want you to notice, listen to me. Now, listen. The devil don't want you to hear this this morning. You you say, listen, I just came to make mom happy. Let's get to the invitation and get me out of here. Friend, listen, it's by the providence of God that you're here today. If you're not saved, this may be the last opportunity you have to trust Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're out of God's will as a Christian, listen, God, God has brought you here today, listen, so that you can hear this challenge from His Word and you can leave here in a revived and a right relationship so that your life won't point people in the wrong direction, but your life can be used to point people to Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice now the impact of a negative spiritual influence. Turn with me, please, to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22, the first text that we found, and I want you to look at verses 51 through 53. I want us to be introduced to Ahaziah, who became king of the northern kingdom of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 22 in verse number 51, the Bible says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, he became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years. Now listen to what the Bible says about his testimony. Timothy, he had a genuine, non-hypocritical faith. He served the Lord. He was surrendered to his lordship. Look what the Bible says in verse number 52 about Ahaziah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Now that was his testimony. That was the king of Israel's testimony, that he was evil and he was wicked and he served Baal. And not only that, friend, he worshipped Baal. What is the greatest act of worship that you can do. Well, you know, it's sing praises to the Lord. Nope. Well, it's, you know, to, to just, you know, to help your neighbor, do good. Nope. The greatest act of worship to God, friend, is obedience to his word and will. To be obedient. As he wasn't obedient to the Lord, he was obedient to Baal. He worshiped Baal. And the Bible says in verse number 52, he walked in the way, look at it, verse 52, of his father and his mother. Ahaziah had a spiritual influence in his life, and he lived out his life according to an observed and a learned pattern that he had seen. Not a positive one, but a negative one. Well, who was his father and mother? Well, they were dandies. Ahab and Jezebel. That was, that was the father and mother of Ahaziah. Well, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33, they give some detail about the, the influence in the life of his father 
and his mother. First Kings chapter 16, begin to read verse, read verse number 29. It speaks about the life of Ahab, his dad. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, Then in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, he became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, listen, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were, for, for, who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He didn't care. When someone tried to talk to him about serving God and honoring God, remember, friend, he was the king over the nation, the people of God. And when the prophets of God tried to challenge him about living a life of holiness, well, he didn't, didn't mean anything to him. It was just, just trivial, trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And so because of that, the Bible says, he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal, and he worshipped him. That was his dad. The, the dad that Ahaziah had that was placed there, to, Proverbs 22, 6, to train him in the way that he should go, spiritually, he was a no account. He didn't care about the Word of God. And so because of that, he was unequally yoked to Jezebel. And boy, listen, she was like gas on the fire. She really stirred him up. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 25 through 26. The Bible also says, But there was none like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. When he should have prayed for and looked for a godly woman to encourage him into a relationship with God, he didn't. He married out of the will of God. And what does she do? She stirs him up to even more evil. Verse number 26, And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so, what was their response to the Word of God? Listen to what 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 4 has to say. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 4. The Bible says, now listen, when, when Jezebel had an opportunity as the queen married to the king of the people that God had set apart to be, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. It was through the nation of Israel that Jesus Christ would come. When Jezebel had an opportunity to respond to those who spoke for God, verse 4 says this, For so it was why Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. When God sent men to tell them an authentic, sure, certain word from him, how they should go and how they should live, Pew! she killed them. See, I'm not going to listen to that. And so don't forget, friend, all this time, little Ahaziah is watching all this. That's the home little Ahaziah is growing up in. He's watching. He's listening. He sees the response that dad and mom have to the word of God. And she just displays it. You know, she just, she killed them. I mean, she absolutely massacred them. 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 6 through 8 says this. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. About 400 men. And said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? 
So they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver into the hand of the king. Well, what's happening? Well, Jehoshaphat, who's king of Judah, he's made an unwise alliance with Ahab. And the Syrians had taken over Jabesh-Gilead. And so Ahab, he wants to reclaim that. And so listen, he is replaced, don't miss this, he's replaced the true mouthpieces of God, the prophets. Listen, Jezebel and Ahab, they didn't have what we have today, the full canonized scripture in front of them. And so God spoke through holy men words that he wanted his people to hear. Well, they didn't want to hear what God had to say. So they just didn't run from it or join somewhere else where they didn't have to listen to it. They killed them. And instead, to make themselves feel better and literally, listen, to scratch their itching ears, they heaped to themselves some prophets that would tell them exactly, prophets, that would tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. What's, 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 what's the word on the street? Well, Ahab wants to go up against Jabesh Gilead, well, then we're going to tell him that's what God wants him to do because that's what he wants to hear. So they said, go up. But Jehoshaphat, listen, he's king of the southern kingdom. Don't miss this. He had enough sense to know, you know what? We need to hear from God. Not just all of these yes men that are telling you what you want to hear because that's what's going to make you happy, Ahab. We, we need to hear from the Lord. So verse 7, the Bible says, and Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord? that will speak a true word from God, that we may inquire of him. Now listen, this is what Ahab, daddy to Ahaziah, had to say about the prophets of God. Then the king said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah. He's the son of Imlah, by whom I may inquire of the Lord. Now listen to what he said about him. He says, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. The only prophet that Ahab wanted to hear from was the one that would tell him what he wanted to hear that would not contradict the life that he and Jezebel had chosen to live outside of the will and the way of God. And so meanwhile, that's the environment that young Ahaziah is growing up in. He, like Timothy, he saw Ahab and he saw Jezebel, how they treated people, how they lived. He saw how they conducted themselves at home and outside the home. He heard the words that that came out of their mouth. At all times, he heard everything. He learned from them how to have a world view, how to view life, how to respond to life. Had to look at challenges. He saw, he heard, he learned. And then Amaziah, he he, he processed all of this. He sat and began to process it all. And so as he grew up and the opportunity came for him to be a king, he was influenced by the sum total of mom and dad's lives. And listen, and because of that, he walked, what does the Bible say? In their way. In their way. They influenced him, but it wasn't in a positive way. It was, it was a negative way. But listen, you say, well, again, parents, grandparents, I'm neither one. Listen, it's, it's not just your parents and grandparents. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as a disciple of Jesus Christ, at all times, I represent my king. When I got saved, friend, I laid my life down at his feet. And you say, well, I didn't. Then you've never been saved. The Bible doesn't mention one time that anyone is saved by trusting Christ to be Savior. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You're not saved by trusting Jesus to be your Savior. You're saved by trusting Christ to be Lord of your life. You bring your life and you lay it at His feet. And when you do that, friend, you are bound by the blood that He shed for you to be His ambassador at all times. We represent Him and how we live and how we speak and how we think. And the lost and saved, listen to me, they're watching. They're listening. They know that you claim to be a Christian. And at all times, they're, they're watching. And anything observed, heard, or learned from your life that is outside or out of line with the Word of God and the life of Christ, it will have a negative spiritual impact upon that person. It will turn them away from Christ. You know, the can of Scripture is complete. But I want to share something with you this morning. How many Gospels are there? How many? There's five. Did you know that? There's five Gospels. It's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's also, you ready for it? It's the Gospel according to you. And the Gospel, friend, that most lost people read, it's not, it's not the Gospel of Matthew. It's not the Gospel of Mark. It's not the gospel of Luke, and it's not the gospel of John. It's the gospel according to you. The life that you live out for Christ, it influences people. So we see the, the impact of positive spiritual influence. We see the impact of negative spiritual influence. But listen, and I, I love this point. I want you to notice now the impact of personal choice. The impact of personal choice. We've examined the two families one had a godly mother and grandmother. One had two no accounts. They wouldn't respond to the word of God or the will of God they chose to run from. And we see the impact that it had upon those two children's lives. But Timothy had a godly grandmother and a godly mother, Lois and Eunice. Now, I just want to pause and say, listen, we're left to wonder about the, the spiritual influence of the men in his life. The Bible's, the Bible's silent about that. But I, but I do question, if, if his father and grandfather were godly, why would God leave that detail out? We don't know. But what we do know is this. Don't, don't miss this. Timothy made a personal choice to respond to the gospel. Despite the influence, and he was blessed to have a godly one, he still had to choose. Regardless of their influence, Timothy made a choice to follow Christ. But I want you to know, if you were blessed, listen to me this morning, because here's one of the great problems in the southern church. It's, it's the greatest cult in the south. It's the good Baptist. Well, my mom was a godly woman. Praise the Lord. But I want you to listen to me. You're not going to ride her dress tail into heaven. You can't do it. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Timothy had to make a choice, and you're going to have to make a choice. That's the power of a personal choice. Timothy chose to respond to the word 
and all that was lived out before him. And he chose to trust Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to Christ. And listen, and now he's pastoring the church at Ephesus. God's doing something through his life. Don't you listen to me. He wants to do something through yours. He wants to do more through yours in the days ahead. The godly heritage Timothy had, it was not a guarantee for fulfillment in his life. He had to choose. That's the power of a personal choice. And you're going to have to choose. Ahaziah, he chose the way of Ahab and Jezebel. Negative spiritual influence. They didn't, they didn't encourage him. They didn't pray with him. They didn't read the Bible with that young boy every night. They didn't have a family altar and pray. He didn't, he didn't look at his mom and dad and see them up early in the morning reading the Word of God, responding to the Word of God, loving the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving their neighbors, their self. He didn't see any of those things. And that influenced him, and it trained him. And when he had a time to choose, he chose to go in their way. Listen to me this morning, parents and grandparents. They stacked the deck against him. And I'm telling you, if you're riding the fence in your home, you shout amen and glory, hallelujah at church, you drag your kid to church. Listen, politically, you're not a socialist, but spiritually you are. You know, the church will raise my child for me, spiritually. No, friend, that, that we will come alongside you, but that responsibility that you'll answer to God, it rests upon you. It rests upon you. Ahaz didn't see those, Ahaz, he didn't see those things in the life of Ahab and Jezebel. All he saw was rebellion. And so they stacked the deck against him like many parents do today. They stacked the deck against their kids with unholy and unrighteous living in the home and outside the church. And their kids hear that. The kids see that. They learn that. And then they process that. And when it's time to choose, sadly, many continue to go in that direction. So does the impact of spiritual influence, listen, does it determine what choice a person will make? No. Thank God for that. Praise the Lord. Listen to me. Your parents' spirits, your parents may have been great people. And they cared for you and loved you and they worked hard. But the only time they darkened the door of a church was at a wedding or a funeral. They need to go Christmas and Easter. You may have had no... But friend, listen, that doesn't mean that's the way that you must go. There's power in personal choice. Sadly, influence trains, influence, and impacts a worldview. But personal choice determines spiritual reality in someone's life. You can choose to break the cycle. You can choose to go in a different direction. What a blessing to look in 2 Kings chapter 16. Not 1 Kings, but 2 Kings chapter 16. And, and to be introduced, sadly, to the life of Ahaz, who was king of Judah. And listen to what the Bible says. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remla, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now listen to what the Bible says about the testimony and the life of Ahaz. Now listen, this is important. You need to hear this this morning. The Bible says that Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Listen to what he did. He walked in the way of the kings of, of Israel, those who were wicked before him. 
Indeed, he made his son to pass through the fire. What does that mean? It means he, he took one of his babies and threw them in a burning fire as a sacrifice to the false god Molech. That's how influenced he was. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the, all the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places of the hills and under every green tree. Well, he had a young son. Don't miss this. He had a young son who heard how his daddy spoke. He had a young son who listened to the words, who saw how he lived his life. He learned from him how to face life and how to live life. Then he began to process all of that. His son's name was Hezekiah. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 7, this is what the Bible says about Hezekiah. Now, don't miss this. Listen to me. Look this way. Hezekiah had a dad who was a spiritual no account. He didn't honor God. He didn't serve God. He didn't live for God. He even burned one of his sons in the fire. And young Hezekiah saw that. He grew up in that environment. And the Bible says he became king. In 2 Kings chapter 18, it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, that king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now listen, he was 25 years old when he became king. He'd grown up in that environment. Now he was 25. He has the opportunity to make his own choices. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby. Now listen to what verse 3 said. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. His paternal father was in no account, but he chose not to receive that. He said, I'm not going that direction. I'm going to choose to serve God and to honor him. The Bible says he did what was right in the sight of God. Verse 4, he put legs on it. It wasn't just the church that he said, I'm going to honor God. He put legs on that decision. Verse 4 says he removed the high places. That's where they worship false gods. He broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden images. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until that day, the children of Israel had called it, uh, burned incense to it. But he called it Nehushtan. He called it worthless. He saw there's nothing that was good in his life. Listen to verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any like before him. For he held fast to the Lord. It wasn't an emotional decision. They didn't sing a tear-jerking song about mamas down in the rest home. Won't somebody come visit her on Mother's Day? And the altar began to fill with people. Tears began to fall through their eyes. And they all left saying, we'll serve the Lord. And they went straight back out to their sin. That wasn't his choice. He said, it doesn't matter what background I've had. God loves me. He has sent his word to show me how to live that I might know him and honor him. And I'm going to choose to live for the Lord. He made a choice. And then he lived it out. He held fast to the Lord despite all of the conflict. And listen, and don't forget, it wasn't the popular thing to do. The majority of the nation of Israel was going in the wrong direction. But he said, I'm going to stand against the flow of apathy and indifference, and I'm going to let my life count for Jesus Christ. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept his commandments. 
We all want to stand and gripe about the way America's going, and we've got a right to, to gripe about it. But friend, I want to tell you something. Another political party obtaining the White House, Congress, and Senate isn't going to fix anything. The only thing that will change the direction of our country is for there to be a spiritual awakening where people come to know Christ. And that's never going to happen until there's revival in the church. When men and women forsake their sin and they stop riding the fence and say, God, I'll be all in for you. I'm going to cling to Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him, not just at church, but in the home. And I'm going to get all the trash out of my life like Hezekiah did. No more R-rated movies. No more shows at home that honor and glorify sin. I'm going to get the wine and the liquor out of the refrigerator. I'm going to get the nicotine out of my life. No more gossiping. I'm going to get up every day and start studying God's Word. It's going to mark my life. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to share it. And I'm going to, I'm going to encourage people to turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ. I'm going to live on mission. That's the only thing that's going to change the direction of our country. So you can keep griping and whining as you watch the news. Friend, listen. God's already given us the cure. It's Jesus Christ. And the positive spiritual influence that Hezekiah lived out, it impacted other people. And if you live for Christ, so will you. But people have to make a choice. They have to make a choice. And that's what I'm calling you to do today. Despite all the negative influence, Hezekiah made a personal choice to know God, to love God, and to serve Him. And he followed through. He made a choice. That's what I'm calling you to do today. God sent me here today to call you to make a choice. Number one, if you've never been saved, choose to trust Jesus Christ today. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to join the Bible study. I'm asking you today, if you've never truly repented of your sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, to lay your life at His feet today and and accept His Lordship over your life as you choose to turn from all the sin that's in your life. Jesus said, Luke chapter 13, verse 3, except you repent, you'll all, you'll all likewise perish. That means, friend, you've got to give up all the sin. And God, God defines what's sin and what's not. We're living in a day where it's all been redefined. This says what's right. This says what's wrong. If you're going to be saved, you've got to choose to turn from that sin and by faith choose to trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Hezekiah made that choice. Timothy made that choice. I'll tell you something. I made that choice. I will tell you something. Jesus Christ changed my life. He'll change yours. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to come live in your heart and give you a life, John 10, 10 says, that's far more abundant than anything you can ever plan or concoct. The world can't give you what Jesus Christ can, but you must choose to receive him. If you've never done that, I want to invite you right now to bow your head and close your eyes. If you've never really trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, listen to me today. I want to invite you to turn from the sin and trust Christ. Listen, we sang a lot of songs this morning and listened to a lot of songs about heaven, about a glad day, a glad reunion. There's going to be a land 
where the roses will always bloom. And praise the Lord for that. But I want you to listen, friend. At the same time that those who have trusted Christ are rejoicing in heaven, there will be multiplied millions who will be in hell that forfeited their opportunity to know Christ because of their foolish pride and refusal to let go of sin. They may have had a lot of negative spiritual influence in their life, but the choice was theirs. But you're here today, and the Spirit of God is convicting you and calling you. If you've never been saved, turn from sin. Give your life to Jesus. He'll come live in your heart, give you a new nature, friend. And when you die, he's going to take you to heaven with him. But you've got to receive him right now. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just tell him so. If you know you need to be saved, tell him that. Pray just like this silently where you sit. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I forsake all of it. A lifestyle, sin that I've allowed to mark and mar my life. Could be from, God, all this negative influence I've had all these years, but this is where I'm at. God, I'm turning from it today. God, I believe Jesus died for me. And I lay my life at his feet today. I want Jesus to be Lord over my life. I want to know your word and I want to do your word. As I turn from sin, I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. Save me a sinner. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Did you pray that prayer this morning? Did you make that decision? With, did you make that personal choice to trust Christ? When Peggy begins to sing in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you've trusted Christ today, don't be prideful. Be bold. I'm going to ask you just to make your way to your left. Brother Brian's going to be standing under an exit sign over to your left. And he just wants to pray with you and encourage you with what God wants to do next in your life. I do want to speak to parents and grandparents today. Be honest before God. Or what's your spiritual influence on your children and grandchildren? Not, not the facade that you've created or the lie that you've allowed yourself to believe, but the truth. What's the real spiritual influence of your life as your children still, no matter how old they are, they're still watching. They're still listening. They're still learning. And they're still processing. What's your true spiritual? You say, well, I'm not all in, but well, thank God I'm not like Ahab and Jezebel. Do you know what, friend? Jesus said, you're worse. If you're a fence rider, you're worse. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus had a word, friend. He said that lukewarm Christians are like vomit in his mouth. He wished you were like Ahab and Jezebel so that you might even have the opportunity to be saved because you convinced yourself that you're right with God. One of two things is true. Either you need to be saved or you need to repent. If you know your spiritual influence isn't what it should be, start a new beginning right now. Let this be a new day. Leave here today with a fresh consecration to Christ's Lordship over your life and let your life be salt and light that in every way points people to Christ. Why not do business with Him right now just like this? Wherever you sit, as a parent and a grandparent, say, God, thank you. Thank you so much 
for the privilege of being a mom, a dad, a grandma or grandpa, an aunt or an uncle. Thank you for that privilege of having spiritual influence of the life of someone else. But God, your Spirit's convicting me. You're challenging me. God, my influence isn't all positive. And so, Lord, today, I want to do business. God, I want to turn from the sin that's in my life. Forgive me of where I'm influencing in a negative way. And God, I want my life in every single way to be a positive influence. God, not only just upon those that you've placed in my care and entrusted me to point the right direction and train they the way that they should go, but Lord, to my neighbor, to people I don't even know, just in the community and in the marketplace, God, help my life to be a positive influence. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says these words. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you not pray this scripture with me today, church family? Would you not mean it with all your heart today? And simply pray this, silently where you sit. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way that's everlasting. Well, Father, I pray now that we won't allow the devil to quench and to steal the opportunities that you have for us now. Father, we pray that the lost would be saved. Those who've trusted you this morning would be bold to step out and profess their faith in you in front of their, their neighbors and their kin today. Father, I pray that each of us will invite your Holy Spirit to search us now. If there's anything in our life, God, that's out of line with your word and your will, we'll turn from it, that our influence in all ways might be positive on the hearts and lives of others. Bless this time. Be glorified through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, step out and come right now. Search me. Make a decision, step out and come.
Let's sing one more verse. Friends, you need to make it. Step out. Don't leave here the way you came. 